Serving the world a voice. We are a faith-based social justice forum where individuals give their perspectives on various topics. It's an opportunity to express their viewpoint, their stance, and their angle on justice issues affecting the community and globally. Each episode features guests presenting their perspective on things like climate change, the church, urban farming, and food insecurity, all through a unique faith lens. Come check us out. Give us your perspective. Welcome to Perspectives on Social Justice. I am Lara Lane White, and I am here tonight so that we can address the issue of social justice from a, uh, I'm sorry, climate change from a social justice point of view. Uh, we, it's just amazing uh, the things that have happened uh, tonight. Uh, this week has been, certainly been an awesome week. Uh, we've had a, a very moving and a very telling inaugural address. Uh, and it's just been uh, an, ex an exciting week uh, for um, in, in the world of climate change and cl the climate crisis. Uh, as a faith-based organization, we take every opportunity to present our social justice perspectives from a faith perspective. And tonight's show, as I said earlier, is focused on issues relating to climate crisis and the action plans of the new presidential administration. In planning for this segment, our goal was simply to talk about the cabinet nominees and what we felt the next step should be. But our jaws dropped and there was a collective exhale when just a few hours after being sworn in, this new American president of the United States signed a series of executive orders affecting the climate crisis, most notably and we knew it was going to happen, but we didn't know that it was going to happen um, the, within a few hours. But most notably, he recommitted the United States, which is the largest contributor to the global warming uh, series in history. He recommitted the United States to the Paris Climate Agreement. And according to the New York Times article, he went on to sign orders revoking the permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. And we'll talk about that in a moment. He reversed a number of rollbacks to the Environmental Protection Agency, especially in the area of vehicle emission standards. He reversed the decision to slash the size of several national monuments and force a temporary moratorium on the oil and natural gas leases in the Arctic uh, National Wildlife Refuge. And he also reestablished a working group on the social costs of greenhouse gases. Now, as a climate activist, I know that these steps are only the beginning and will not resolve the ongoing debate on issues such as fracking and the like. But I do believe that both sides of this debate can see that these actions are opportunities to resolve and mitigate these crises in a constructive and fair manner. It's not going to be easy and it's not going to happen overnight, but I would prefer to direct my questions to the faith community on this issue. And I'll do that by asking two questions. Number one, what actions are we, the faith community, committed to take to hold elected officials accountable as stewards to the planet that was provided to us? And number two, as stewards ourselves, 
What will we do individually to increase awareness and make a contribution to a cleaner environment? Well, tonight I have joining me uh, the Reverend Michael Malcolm. He is the uh, founder of the People's Justice Council, and he is a part of the Alabama Interfaith Power and Light, and the Reverend Alan Jenkins, who is the founder of the of Earth of the Earth Covenant, and he's also a, uh, a, a an elder in the Presbyterian Church. So, gentlemen, thank you for joining me tonight. I am glad that you are here. It's been a lot. It's been real exciting uh, about everything that's going on. And the, the biggest thing, when the biggest shock, when we knew he said he was going to do it before he was inaugurated, but we didn't know he was just going to do it like in a few hours later. The Paris Agreement is probably the biggest thing. Uh, can you explain, any one of you, explain to our viewers exactly what the Paris Agreement uh, talks about? Reverend James. Sure. sure. Just a just a quick overview. Thank you so much, and it's great to be with you all. Uh, I think uh, I missed last month, so so it's great to be back. Thank you so much. Um, all right. So just a, a quick refresher here. The Paris Agreement uh, that was established several years ago established a, a two degree Celsius upper limit of of global warming in an attempt to stave off the most calamitous impacts of climate change. Um, you know, for example, you know, temperatures that would be too high to sustain human life uh, and uh, sea level rise that envelops whole cities. Um, now, uh, keep in mind, uh, this agreement is not seeking to solve or, or completely stop global warming. It's simply the agreement that they that that these countries made across the globe through the United Nations uh, made a commitment to two degrees Celsius to stave off the most calamitous impacts of the climate crisis. Um, and uh, so so we signed on to that. Then, of course, uh, Trump pulled us out. Obama signed on to that. And, um, and there were actually other countries who who actually didn't feel like the Paris Accords were enough and that two degrees, an increase of global temperatures of average of two degrees Celsius was not enough that we really needed to commit to something more like 1.5 degrees Celsius uh, of increase, only allowing that that much. Um, and therefore, reel back and be more aggressive with our, with our um, ceasing the use of fossil fuels, mm -hmm. of oil, gas, natural gas, mm -hmm. coal. Um, and so um, in some of those countries were uh, members of, of island nations, like, for example, in the South Pacific. And so they said that we really need a 1.5 degree commitment for the Paris Accords in order to simply stay alive, uh, to give us a fighting chance. And, and so those activists uh, who were at those meetings and those presidents of island nations actually said that the Paris Agreement of settling for a two degree allowance of, of increase in temperature um, was actually a death sentence uh, for, for many people in parts of the world. So, um, we, know, so we know that the Paris Agreement needed some needed some help. It, it wasn't a perfect, but, uh, but the present, I mean, just the, oh, the whole idea of the United States being a part of it, especially when we are the largest contributor to right. the issue, um, right. we have to start somewhere. 
We aren't the largest. We're one of the largest. Uh, China would be the largest. We're number two. And sometimes we find ourselves fighting over number one and number two. Okay. But, per capita. But, uh, per person, we admit the most. Per, per capita, absolutely. We okay. are the largest. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, I think, I think uh, not only is it significant that we uh, got back into the Paris Climate uh, Agreement, but the way that we are going back in is that we are raising ambition and we're calling for others to raise ambition as well. Now, the question is, will we put our money where our mouth is and not just look at paying uh, what we said we were going to do, but actually increasing that to cover what we've already lost behind this last administration, in addition to looking at it through a fair shares perspective? If we're going to look at uh, investment, climate investment, in particular on a global scale, we've got to look at the countries that can't afford to do the necessary things needed to bring down climate at the same time, seeing that they aren't the ones that produce a whole lot of it, uh, of the emissions either. We are. So paying our fair share means that we pay way above well above what we were uh, intending to pay in the first place. And honestly, our fair shares from what has been calculated is something around 225% uh, raising 225% in finances. Okay. Yeah. Now, go ahead. No, I'm I was saying that the definitely the, the, uh, the, the, the price tag that comes with it uh, is, is definitely leaves a lot of discussion. And I just and I, I just really believe that our presence, um, our presence will help uh, uh, take that conversation along. If we couldn't, we, we, we don't we don't we're not in a position where we can influence the outcome of that conference if we're not a part of it. Um, so it is it's. it's it was just amazing to me. And it's not, like I said earlier, it's not going to happen overnight, but I believe that this is an opportunity for us to resolve um, the difference in a constructive way. What were you going to yeah. say? Sorry. Go ahead. I'm are, sorry. Are you talking to me? Yes. Yes. Oh, uh, I, I, well, First and foremost, I keep, I'm just looking at myself. Am I supposed to only be seeing me or was it, I know that was a mistake. <laughs> but oh. I, but I, you I, was talking. I didn't want to take you away. Now I was like, huh? No, but uh, along the lines of what you were just saying, uh, when we look at our fair shares, and, and the reason why I think that it's important that people lean in and hear this conversation, mm -hmm. in, in particular, uh, faith leaders and communities of faith, why it's important that you lean in and listen in this conversation is because the incoming administration will vote it on a policy that they would um, do environmental justice and, and center in environmental justice in their climate work. For us to rob people of their uh, uh, life lifestyles and livelihoods because of our emissions, because of the things that we do here people in Africa are suffering 
from droughts and and and, and floods and fires. Yes. Uh, it's important for faith leaders to stand up because that's an injustice. Right. And if we right. don't stand up, then who will? Right. So right. it's right. important that you lean in right now and hear what we're discussing, because this has everything to do with what you claim to be your faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I could add, you know, we, we talk about uh, different places in, in the world that are more much more affected by the climate crisis than uh, than than many of us here in the United States, where we emit at least per capita the most global warming greenhouse gases in the world. Um, I, I, for example, I, I was just having a video conference today with uh, a Mayan young man in Guatemala, in northern Guatemala. They were hit with two hurricanes. Actually, this, these two hurricanes came through Nicaragua, Honduras, and Guatemala, and, and, and part of the, the Yucatan, southern Mexico. Um, two hurricanes that came within a couple of weeks of each other, and they were each in and of themselves, devastating. Um, but uh, I happen to be in communication and I spent some time doing some mission work in a particular region uh, that was hit particularly hard and, and is by a river uh, that ended up flooding twice. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to show you a picture. I don't know if you can see it well, but uh, this is, this is uh, Moises Ka'al. And okay. Moises Ka'al is, uh, is, a, is a young Mayan man and he is still trying to repair his home. And mm-hmm. so my church is sending him and mm-hmm. his family and the church uh, some, some funds to help him continue repairing. Uh, so it is very real to say nothing of, 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 of all of the, uh, the impacts here within the continental United States. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's why I asked that question. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing to mitigate the impact? You know, while we talk on a major level about the Paris Agreement and the like, what are we doing in our own communities, in the faith community in particular? This is why I asked the question. We're all stewards, okay? The charge that we have that we have to keep in this issue is making sure that we're making our contribution to resolving this conflict because we're stewards over this green earth that was provided to us, not just the us, but to the generations that come after us. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely love the history. Entrusted, entrusted to us. Entrusted, that's right. Thank you. Thank well, Dr. White, if you look at it, uh, many of our major denominations have missions. Mm-hmm. They do. And they send people here to do this, and they send people there to do that. And, and geographically, we are all over the place. I don't understand, but I also do understand because I understand it's by design why we aren't talking and seeing that this is a global issue. Mm. We we are so isolated, self-isolated here mm-hmm. My, my. that we can't see there. And if we understand that this is a global issue, then we call for our global I can't stand saying global leaders because I don't think anybody that's put in a position of uh, uh, such as a president or a public servant position should be considered a leader. They should be considered servants. And, and so any of our public servants globally, we should be calling on them to do something about this issue. Yeah, and I, because I, this is a global issue. 
It, it absolutely is, um, uh, Reverend Malcolm. And I think uh, part of the reason why we don't really see it as a global issue is because we're mostly concerned about our immediate surroundings. So as long as we feel like our, all of our uh, all of our environment, environmental needs are being met, then we can't really see what's going on globally. But mm -hmm. I would argue to that, I would also argue that all of our nearby local environmental needs are not being right. met. Right. Because there, there are things that we can do. And there, uh, another climate activist that, that normally joins us, Reverend Daylight, she talks about how a community or neighborhood can do some things just to clean up the air in their local neighborhood. And they're totally unaware. I'm challenging all of my friends that live in southwest Atlanta from Fairburn Road, between Fairburn Road and Campbellton Road, uh, to go better than that. Fairburn Road and Camp Creek. For all of you whose per capita income is $300,000 and up to, to, to stop driving your Mercedes, <clears throat> BMWs, and your Range Rovers and, 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 and buy and purchase an electric vehicle. If you do that, I guarantee you the quality of the air just in that area will, will improve at least by 30%. And I don't want to cut you off, Reverend uh, Reverend Jenkins, because I, I want you all to talk to you, but what, what were you going to add? Mm, uh, I, <laughs> I forgot. Well, how about this uh, triple bottom line? You know, we're talking about environmental issues, yeah. um, but I, I love this triple bottom line that folks have been talking yeah. about, that we're addressing um, environmental justice. Yes. You know, ecological justice. Yes. We're invested in, in addressing economic justice. Yes. Yes. Um, and 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 social justice. Yes. You know? And so, yeah, it's a new bottom line. Is the triple bottom line. The triple and bottom. So, and and so, and with this gross inequality, you know, even Jimmy Carter said that we live not in a democracy but a plutocracy. You know. You know, to 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 put taxation, to increase living wages, and to and to create the new economy that we've got to be about of of clean energy, like you're talking about, uh, with with cars and and with our power plants and democratizing energy. That's that's a uh, you know, I, Reverend Malcolm could talk much more about the democracy of of, of energy and energy production. Um, but but this triple bottom line. Yes. And, and, and oh, go ahead. Were you going to say something, Reverend Malcolm? I, I, I was adjusting. I, go ahead. Oh, OK. I was just going to say that um, when we talk about energy, another major um, executive order that uh, President Biden has put into place. And I absolutely loved it was he revoked the permit to conduct the extension on the Keystone Pipeline. And that, that is so significant, um, you know. It, it, it's going to impact. I mean, it impacts the, the northwest portion of, of the United States, but it really does impact the entire United States. Uh, and so um, given that anybody want to give it a shot in terms of defining what is the What is the issue with the, the, the Keystone uh, pipeline? Well, yeah. So I, I want to try to put this in terms that people can can really grasp and, sure. and, and understand the, sure. the significance and the injustice of it. First and foremost, we had to pay for this. Uh, it's $8 billion. And here's the deal. It's not needed. It's unnecessary. It was stopped 
during the uh, uh, during the Obama administration because it was unnecessary. Biden, uh, or not Biden, but Trump chose to uh, start it back up, and then Biden shut it back down. But here, here's what you need to understand, and here's why it's so un unjust. Uh, it, it's because those $8 billion uh, projects that aren't necessary still pay people. And that's the only reason why it's being built. It's not, it, it's an environmental issue because it does environmental harm. You've got uh, crude oil going through these pipelines that can bust at any time. They're on sacred lands. So it's a social justice issue that they're trying to put them on so sacred lands, sacred, sacred indigenous land, uh, which is just further, further pillaging and raping a, a people. Uh, in addition to, um, What's really disturbing about this whole thing is the people are saying we don't want it, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the, but we had an administration that was saying you gonna get this cake anyway, anime. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's abusive. Yeah. And, and 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 we need to understand that again. My goal is always when I speak in on environmental terms and, and environmental issues, is to really bring attention to the moral compass, because mm -hmm. that's where I sit, and I think that's where we as faith leaders and, and faith communities sit. Right. That's right. And, and, and it's immoral. It's immoral for us not to pay our fair shares. It's immoral for us uh, not to be listened to when we're saying we don't want this infrastructure on uh, this project on our land. Mm -hmm. And you insist on putting it in, on there anyway right. when it's not necessary. And we're the ones that have to pay for it. Right. Well, and it's not just that, but it, 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 it uh, introduces a host of risk. Um, to the natural resources that the pipeline, uh, where the pipeline is being um, generated through. So, Native American lands. That's right. Uh, again, these are sacred lands that they are once again, you you you, you move these people to these lands because you took their land. Well, then on top of that, you just continue to this with this egregious disrespect because you're going to now put this structure on this land when I told you we don't want it and these are sacred land these are it's as if though they went and put a a whole barrel of oil in, in the church and it, I mean just to it, just to construct it uh presents an environmental hazard you know they're they're desecrating these lands and so um that's that's part of the that's a major reason why um we that we don't want that extension or that it's not, and, and and we're trying to get away from allowing crude oil to be a major resource for energy uh, when yeah. it comes to um, motorizing our cars. Yeah, yeah. and the and that and that those pipelines transmit what's called tar sands oil, That's which right. is yeah uh, you got to dig out of the ground and it's incredibly inefficient. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it takes a lot to process and to become gasoline to put in your car. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a huge strike against it. Uh, we should also note that activists are so thankful or so excited that the Biden administration has uh, signed on to stop the, uh, the Keystone XL pipeline. 
But uh, but keep in mind too that there are two other pipelines that are um, uh, that are in process: DAPL DAPL and Line Three. And so activists are still working hard. Indigenous leaders are still working hard to 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 get the Biden administration to axe those as well. So so, so the, I, the fight still fight still goes. I just signed on to uh, 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 letter to the Biden administration, my organization. Um, we just signed on to a letter today. I will get you that link, um, Great. Dr. White, so that way you can uh, you can put it out with, with this uh, with this as well. And people can sign up, right? Right. We can have individuals and organizations. Okay. I hope prayerfully some of the pastors that's listening right now will be able okay. to sign on and everything. Okay. okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, you know, pastors, pastors and religious leaders came from all around the country to support indigenous people in um, at Standing Rock, uh, where where the pipeline uh, was scheduled to go through. And uh, people put their lives on the line and they went to jail. They went to prison and uh, and, and, and people from all walks of life and, and different communities of faith came from all around the country uh, to be in solidarity with them. And so that solidarity need, needs to continue, of course. Um, and last, I just say it's incredibly exciting that uh, that Biden is appointing Deb Holland uh, from the Laguna Pueblo um, to to head up the Department of the Interior. Yeah, Not everybody talk, knows what the Department uh, of Interior is. Yeah, can, you, can you talk about the significance of that appointment and why it's so important, especially for Deb Holland in, the, in particular? Right, right, right. Well, uh, uh, Winona LaDuke, who... Uh, who is uh, a long, a long time known activist, uh, Native American activist? She says that the the department, the uh, department of the interior, is like the great white father. Uh, it it is uh, uh, a department of the federal government that oversees over 500 million acres of federal land, uh, and which can include. Uh, Indian country, Native American uh, uh, lands, and uh, and so they make decisions on contracts of of mining um, from oil and gas and uranium, and uh, and of course Native American perspectives are not often taken into account, and so to have a Native American woman, uh, Deb Holland from the Laguna Pueblo, to come into this position is huge. She comes from the Laguna Pueblo, which is uh, has one of the largest uranium mining histories in the country. So that's where we're getting our, our nuclear energy from and developing nuclear weapons. Uh, and so she knows the kind of damage that that can do to a water table uh, and the cancer that that creates. And so uh, to have her in this position is, is uh, yeah, is a watershed event. I think what what also is significant uh, uh, is the diversity that this administration. This has got to be the most diverse administration that we've ever had. Uh, but in that diversity, you have people who have experienced some of the things and some of the harms that they're actually dealing with. And Deb Holland is one uh, coming through. Uh, uh, New Mexico and dealing with uh, the indigenous 
environmental issues that she's had to deal with, she's very much familiar with what, what others have to deal with. Uh, if I was preaching this, I'd say she'd been touched by our infirmities, brother. Uh, but it, having having uh, staff and having uh, cabinet members who've actually experienced some of the issues helps them to drive what uh, Biden has said is his mission, uh, which is to deal with environmental justice, uh, to deal with climate through an environmental justice lens. So uh, having people who've actually experienced environmental injustice is great, and she's one of them. Amen. Amen. That's some good stuff. Um, and, and Reverend Malcolm, I've been trying to uh, get this, uh, create this banner for, uh, well, get, be able to get the, the link that you spoke about earlier. Um, and it, it and so it would that, could you explain what this link, I'm going to post the link. I'm not really sure if people will be able to, I'm going to try my best. Can you explain again what that link is all about? And so that we can uh, make sure people understand what they need to be what they're posting about. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm hoping it's still up. I think it is. I might be wrong, but I'm hoping it's still up. But it's it's to stop the um, Line 3 pipeline. Uh, um, this is uh, the uh, one of the other pipelines that Alan just spoke of, or Reverend Jenkins just spoke of. You mean, uh, so the Keystone pipeline is actually made up of, of, I think it's three different pipelines. Is that correct, Reverend Jenkins? Uh, uh, well, there's the Keystone pipeline, and then there are two right. two other pipelines, but they're all transporting this uh, uh, the tar sands oil, incredibly inefficient, destructive. Okay, I'm trying to get. Let's see if I can. We can make it work here. And uh, yeah. a few years, a couple of years back, I guess it was. Um, we were actually in Minnesota protesting this. That line three. Oh, we wow. were in Minnesota protesting that. Yeah. Wow. Speaking with the, um, we were speaking with the city leaders, I believe. Mm -hmm. Can't remember. Mm -hmm. Somebody, but yeah, we partnered with uh, some of the indigenous brothers and sisters that were there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, I think that rounds out our discussion. I, I, it's just so amazing to me that um, this this president, this new American president that we have, uh, is being very proactive and in, in doing what he says he's going to do. It gives him a great deal of credibility, and it also creates a, a it generates a, a tremendous amount of trust. I've even heard some of the even some of the leader leading Republicans. Uh, in this, in in, uh, in in both on the state level as well as the federal level, say that um, they, you know that the, the fight between uh, the Republican Party and the and the Democratic Party will continue on, but everybody seems to have a, a tremendous level of confidence in in this American in our new American president, and uh, you know the the apprehension. Any if there's any apprehension, is the the greater Democratic Party, but certainly not in the, the actions or the intention of our new president. So that that, that really, uh, that I'm really excited about that. Yes, Reverend Malcolm. Dr. White, real quick, 
along those same lines, I do think that we still have to be vigilant and we still have to continue to push for two yeah. reasons. One, just because we've got the people that we have elected in the seats that we have them elected in does not mean that we don't have the same lobbyists that have been in the ears of politicians and caused them to make votes that didn't protect people and didn't protect planet. So we've got to be vigilant about that. That's right. The second thing is, although we're dealing with the pipelines and that's a good thing, there's still Cancer Alley that has been set up long before those pipelines got there that is being overlooked and ignored. And, and so we've got to ensure that equity is also at the fore when we're doing our environmental justice work. Yes. And so we've got to hold our officials accountable yes. to ensure that everyone is seen about. That's yeah. correct. That's it. Yeah, the Biden administration won't be able to do what they want to do uh, if if they don't have a strong backing and support. And of course, they need to be pushed too. Right. That's right. That's right. And that takes me back to those two questions I asked at the very beginning: What are we as stewards of this of this world, as stewards of this earth? How are we being proactive in holding of elected officials available? Uh, 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 elected officials accountable accountability we've got we, we we went through some tough campaigns democracy was tested democracy prevailed now it's time for us to do our part in terms of holding account and not just that but in as an individual what are we doing also what role are we playing in our own environment to mitigate the impact of this global crisis we're in a pandemic for sure but we're also in a global climate pandemic, a crisis as well. So we've got to come together and we've got to be good stewards and we've got to hear what thus saith the Lord in terms of what we're supposed to be doing. Now on that note, I wanna thank you for tuning in. Mm -hmm. I wanna thank you for uh, Reverend Jenkins and Reverend Malcolm. I appreciate as usual, your input, your insight, your knowledge base on, on this issue of climate and the climate crisis. Uh, I always appreciate what you guys have to say. Thank you so much. And on that note, I want to remind everyone of those words of the famous Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King that whatever affects one affects us all. Good night, everybody. And join us next week. On next, week, we're going to be talking about what is the future of urban farming and food insecurity as a social justice issue. So join us next week. We have three young farmers, young urban farmers that will be talking to us about that issue. Okay. Good night, everyone. Thank you, gentlemen, again. Welcome to Perspectives On, where we're giving the world a voice. We are a faith-based social justice forum where individuals give their perspectives on various topics. It's an opportunity to express their viewpoint, their stance, and their angle on justice issues affecting the community and globally. Each episode features guests presenting their perspective on things like climate change, the church, urban farming, and food insecurity, all through a unique faith lens. Come check us out. Give us your perspective.